Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell, and I guess you could call this Monday night life support night because definitely the Reds and the Indians are on life support as we head into the final two weeks of the Major League Baseball season. Glad to have you along tonight on tonight's show. And now let's go down south and find out what's happening with the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds back from Mark Dunne. Mark, I know David, I don't know if you can hear me, but I can barely hear you. You're breaking up. Yes, that's what I just said. Got I said you. it would start clearing up as soon as you start talking. Okay, I apologize. <laughs> I couldn't hear you say that. I apologize. <laughs> uh, well, things aren't uh, going great in Cincinnati Reds land, but I, I think tonight uh, we have spent most of the last several months uh, certainly on the red side, uh, lamenting about their their shortcomings, of which there are numerous. But I think we tonight I'd like to talk about where this team could go in 2015 without a major overall overhaul and and do it economically. I've got some ideas that I'd like to share with Mr. Castellini, who I'm sure is listening to every word we say. And so I'd like to give him some some constructive, not criticism, but but suggestions on how things might work out a little better for the Reds in 2015. Mark, are you related to Johnny Carson's Karnak the Magnificent? No, I am not. Because the reason I ask that is one of our Ask Us questions on tonight's segment has to do with just what you're talking about, and we'll get into that toward the bottom of the hour, but I agree with you. I think it's a good idea to get involved and find out just exactly what the Reds and the Indians can do before we get into one of our final shows later on this season, which will entail you and I going over five or ten things that we think the Indians and Reds should do to improve for next season. But, as I said at the top of the show, let's start off with the Indians before we get into the Reds' plight. Mark, the Indians just lost three straight to the Tigers. They are now 76-72. and 72. They're six and a half games behind Detroit now, who has taken over first place in the American League Central. And they're five games behind Kansas City, not only for second place in the division, but also for the wild card. So you could really indeed say that the Indians probably are having CPR going into tonight's four game, first game of the four-game set against Houston uh, in, the in I guess, not the Astrodome, not, not any longer, but down in Houston where it is hotter than Hades down there heading into tonight's ballgame. The Indians, they've got 15 games left, Mark. They have to win 13 of these 15. They have to pull a 2013 and win as many of these games, if not 10 in a row again, to make the playoffs. Yeah, and we both know that the likelihood of that is is rather remote. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, every year, teams that are in the positions of the Reds, and I was looking at the Reds' schedule, they only have 12 games left, and they have to win all 12. Simple as that. And even then, they have to get a lot of help. The only thing that's in the Reds' favor, if they, they were to go on some extended winning streak, is they do play teams ahead of them uh, the rest of the year, except for the Cubs. So they're going to have a chance to, to do some damage to the other teams. But, you know, Dave, we're talking, you know, there's a, there's a theory in climatology called 
the hundred-year storm or the hundred-year rain or whatever. That's what we're talking about here. For the Reds and or the Indians to <laughs> to make the playoffs, it's got to be something that is done once every 50 years or something. So the fact is, it ain't going to happen. So we can we can think about all these long-term winning streaks and all that stuff, but the, the fact is, our teams, unfortunately, this year are run-of-the-mill teams. Uh, maybe there's some explanation. There certainly is for the Reds. You, you can look at the injuries. You can't deny that. But it just wasn't their year, and I'm sure you can recall even back in the heyday of the Indians, they would have a down year from time to time. And even in the Big Red Machine, it, those of us who were around back in that time, uh, people forget the Reds in, in 1970 had one of the great teams in their history. And in 71, I think they finished 13 or 14 games behind the Giants and then went on a you know a, a extended streak. So that, that can happen. I think both teams have solid organizations, to, you know, mostly. And uh, so we'll see next year if this is a trend or an aberration. Well, I, I think, you know, this is the first time. This is the fourth year that we've, we've done this show, Mark. And the thing about it is is that this is actually the first time where both teams did not make the playoffs. If you look at four years ago, the Reds made the playoffs. The year after, the Reds made the playoffs. Last year, both teams made the playoffs. This will be the first year that neither team will actually make the playoffs. It's sort of a, I'm hoping this is an aberration, like you said, for for the uh, the longevity of this show, where we don't have to talk about one team or another not making the playoffs. matter of fact, last year was more fun with both teams making it. Yeah, and again, I, I don't think that either the Reds or the Indians are in a situation like the Pirates were for, from what, 1991 or 92 until last year, that they're going to be in that kind of uh, mode. Uh, the only thing, and, and I think that's particularly true of the Indians, because they don't have any really onerous long-term contracts. Uh, at the same time, the Reds, do have some some onerous long-term contracts. And if that were to occur to the Reds, it would be because Joey Votto or uh, one of their, Homer Bailey or Johnny Cueto are injured and you have hundreds of millions of dollars tied up over an extended period of time, which would basically mean the team could not compete. Well, and we're hoping that isn't going to happen, and of course that's going to lead us into our Ask Us segment towards the uh, bottom of the hour of tonight's show. And if you'd like to be a part of our uh, Ask Us segment, you can send us a tweet to my Twitter address at OHBBCoHost. And Mark actually is going to have a Twitter address coming up here in the not-so-distant future. You can also send us an email to dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, talking about the Indians a little bit here tonight, Carlos Santana in the first inning of the Houston game this evening set a new career high for RBIs. Believe it or not, it's 80. He has not really had a good career as far as RBIs are concerned. Now, on top of that, he needs one more home run to set a new career high of 28. So if you would have told me at the beginning of the season the way Santana started out in the first two months of this year, Mark, batting basically under 200 and hitting not even probably his shoe size, that he would have 28 homers 
and 80 RBIs by the time this season ended, I would have told you you were nuts. But Santana has really been the straw that stirs the drink, as a lot of people called Reggie Jackson years ago for the Indians this season. And he, you got to look at him and Michael Brantley has been two of the big reasons that the Indians have stayed in this pennant race. You know, it's funny you mentioned him. I saw him hit a home run the other night. Hit it about 450 feet. I forget, maybe it was against uh, Detroit. I mean, he's actually crushed it. And it seemed to me, I don't know if he's lost weight uh, or it just, it, it appeared that he did. But he his bat speed was much, much faster than I had seen him last year. Maybe, I don't know if he was injured, but he looked uh, like the guy who I saw come up three or four years ago. And uh, if that's the case, I mean, this, this guy can rake. Uh, and you wonder why he's not had you know, more RBIs than he has. But you know, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances with that. But, uh, you know, you've got a guy there that can hit you 25 to 30 home runs a year, drive in 75 to 100 runs. You know, you, you get a number of those guys, you you know, they're going to produce for you long term. And you don't need the guy hitting 50 home runs and then having a bunch of other guys hitting 220. So I think Santana is a keeper, obviously, and Brantley too. You know, that's a good start for any lineup. Well, and another thing about Santana, too, Mark, is this is the first year he has not been the full-time catcher. And I think that has a lot to do with it, because especially last year, he was suffering from the concussion syndrome. This year, he caught, I think, maybe five games total. And in that fifth game, when he suffered a concussion and it caused him to put him on that seven-day concussion DL, they said, that's enough. And they put him at first base. That's where he's been for the rest of the year. And that probably has a lot to do not only with his bat speed, but the fact that he is ending this season on a hot streak from the standpoint that he is not as worn out from catching. Yeah, and that's something, you know, I think the Reds, they've been toying with the idea of doing something else with with Mesoraco, maybe having him play first. Uh, Who knows what's going to happen to Votto. Uh, Somebody said that, Votto going to the outfield next year was a possibility because playing left field would put less strain than playing first base. Uh, and that's true. I, I, I played both, and I, I know. I'd rather, to save my legs, I'd rather play left field. But uh, Santana, he, he, can be, he can be an all-star, and because you've got the DH over there, there's always going to be a, a spot for him to keep him in the lineup. And But Brantley, God, he, he, he's... He's got a great swing, and um, I think those two guys could be with the Indians for a long time. And, you know, Michael Brantley tonight also became the third player in Indians history behind Grady Sizemore and Michael Bourne, who did this last year, to be an Indians player who has hit 20 home runs, had had 20 stolen bases, and 40 doubles in the same season. So Michael Brantley has had... An outstanding year. I'll tell you what, Mark, ever since Jason Kipnis got hurt and they moved Michael Brantley into that third slot in the batting order, he has been on a tear. He has not gone more than three games in a row this entire season without a base hit, and that is almost unheard of. And yet, how did they lose three games to the Tigers? You know, that that is the mystery. They've played well against the Tigers this year, but the Tigers have that experience going into it. You know, they've had the playoff experience, and Kansas City had a tough road to go this weekend. 
Detroit, hey, when their backs are against the wall, they seem to come out and play well, and their bullpen pitched well. Detroit's tough to beat if their bullpen pitches well, and that's what's been happening here over the last two weeks for the Tigers. Well, as we said earlier, you know, the, the probability of either the Reds, certainly the Tigers have a better chance than the Reds. The Reds have. In fact, the Reds can be eliminated from the division chase tonight. They're 11 games behind St. Louis. The Reds ain't going nowhere. Uh, but, the, but again, the Indians do have, they're only five games back, and I think a lot of that will depend, the, the, the probability. I mean, they play Houston four games. they gotta, they got to beat Houston four games. And then, That's right. You know, by the end of this week, if they were to win four or five games in a row, which is not a stretch, uh, depending on what happens to Kansas City and Detroit in the next three or four days, you know, next time we speak next week, the Indians could be back in it. Mark, I want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of players here for the Reds that uh, have come into the forefront this weekend just simply because of injuries. Okay, first of all, Joey Votto is still playing with the idea, still toying with the idea of coming back. I understand he's been taking some underhand toss underneath the stadium and swinging the bat. Why are the Reds even allowing him to do this? Dave, you and I, I guess we've been working together too long. Uh, <laughs> we're starting to think alike, which is frightening. Uh, it is. <laughs> but that is the most idiotic thing I have heard of a major league organization even contemplate. Why in the world would you bring him back for a, for half a dozen games, and that's all it's going to be? He's not ready to face live pitching yet, and there's two weeks to go in the season. And if he gets, goes up there, I mean, I have faced 90-mile-an-hour pitching. I've never faced 100 miles an hour, but I've faced 90 and 95. And it, it, all it takes is a wild pitch to hit him in the wrong spot. He's not only done, you know, obviously be done for the year here anyway, but it could something that can linger all the way into next year and he won't be able to work out or something like that. It makes no sense. And I, there's only three people that could have input on that situation. It's the manager, it's a general manager, and it's the owner. The player should have absolutely no input onto that. Even if Joey Botta wants to play, you say, no, Joey, you're not going to play. Take your check and go home. You're not going to play. It, it, it brings no value. It only brings risk. And God forbid he'd go out there and play and, and tear a ligament in his knee or something like that, and then he's done for 2015. Are you nuts? Well, and you're also looking at the red schedule where they're playing in Chicago this week. Now, the weather's turning a little bit colder. Obviously, he's not going to come back this week. Then they go to St. Louis. Now, certainly the weather's going to be a little bit better in St. Louis. At least it should be. Then you've got Milwaukee coming to Cincinnati. The weather, again, is going to be cold. And then you've got Pittsburgh to round out the season coming to Cincinnati where the weather is going to be cold. If you want to see if Joey Votto can play, and you and I talked about this last week, don't take a chance on him in the cold weather. Send him to the Arizona Fall Instructional League and let him play there against the minor leaguers. Get used to pitching where he can, he can work out that leg in warm weather and see what happens. Yeah, I don't think anybody who has any kind of basic common sense, the, the only reason the Reds would even contemplate doing this, I think, is to gin up ticket sales for 2015. Oh, Joey Votto's better. So what can happen? Joey Votto could go out there the last half a dozen games and hit 500. So what? 
If he got hurt, it's not worth it. And if he does hit 500, people are going to say, well, why in the hell wasn't he out here three weeks ago when the Reds were still in the, in the, in the playoff chase? If he's that good and able to play, then why wasn't he playing earlier? Or he can hit 100, and people go, oh, my gosh, he's not ready, he's not healed, he won't be healed next year. Nothing good can come of it, and that's my point. There's no good outcome if Votto comes back. Yeah, it's a no-win situation. Whereas if they send him to Arizona in November and let him play a couple of weeks there, they can use their publicity department to do the same thing by saying, hey, Joey did this, he did that, the leg feels good, the leg, whatever. And they can send it out on publicity. They can send out video clips if they want to to the TV stations. And they can get the same effect by sending him to Arizona as they can by letting him play a couple of games in Cincinnati in the middle of uh, middle of September. Agreed. It just seems silly to me, and I, and I saw that that he was taking soft toss underneath the stadium. Why bother? Okay, another one, Mark. Mike Leak complained of a dead arm after he start this weekend. Is, is this anything that people should be worried about? I don't think so. This is the first time he's ever gone over two hundred innings in his career. And Mike Leake, I mean, he's he's a well put together young man, but he's he's a you know he's a short guy. He, he's not a six foot four. He's probably five nine, five ten, and he, I don't know weighs one eighty or something like that. That's a lot of innings on an arm. So I don't think the Reds should be concerned about it. What what I would be interested in seeing uh, is the Reds giving Chapman an opportunity to pitch two or three innings in, in a game. And see how he would do. See how he warms up to start a game, or bring him in in the seventh inning, let him finish a game. Uh, he's not going to hurt his arm, but it would be interesting to see how he would fare under uh, a longer relief stint. I mean, this guy is going to pitch what 50 innings this year, 60 innings, something like that. Uh, and that should be—he's <laughs> the best pitcher. The other guy—I heard the other night that he has the best arm. The scouts have rated him the best arm in baseball history. Now that, that that's an amazing statement, but he's even if he's not, to have some people have this preponderance of baseball writers and scouts say this about you, uh, it's, I don't know how you prove that, but that's how good that arm is. And for him not to start is obscene. He's got to, he's the kind of guy who's got to be out there 200 innings a year, at least, and. He could be the next Randy Johnson. So with the Reds losing, I'm sure they're going to lose Latos this year. They might lose Leak. There's no question that he's going to have to be in the starting rotation next year, Chapman, if the Reds are going to compete. Mark, what's his contract situation? I, I think he's up for arbitration this year, after this year. The Reds still have him for, two. I think, at least two or three more years uh, under contract. He signed a six-year deal. I think they have to have him two years after this one. So he he'll, he'll obviously sign a big uh, increase this year, and basically, I think he was making six million this year under the original contract. He'll probably go to ten to eleven, maybe twelve. Uh, and you can't. Well, have- I I know this is underhanded, Mark, and heavens knows Major League Baseball owners have never been underhanded and sneaky. But because hearing that. Do you think the Reds can try to sign him to a long-term contract under the guise of being a reliever where they're going to get him cheaper than if he goes into contract negotiations as a starter? 
Well, they might, but they're also going to piss him and his agent off if they do it. Because Chapman has said, I don't want to be a starter. And obviously he's saying that because if he's going to be a starter, he wants more money. And he deserves more money as a starter. So I think that's all, you know, hype. I think he'd probably want to be a starter. He was a starter his whole career before he came to the Reds. And, you know, what a, what a devastating I tell you, Dave, the thing that has impressed me and, and people, you know, smarter than me, they've seen him pitch. His changeup is unbelievable. It, it breaks like 18 inches, and his his slider is unhittable. If he throws the slider at 94 miles an hour, you cannot hit it unless he puts it over the middle of the plate, which he never does anymore. So he's got three pitches now. He's got a slider. He's got a fastball. He's got a cut fastball. He's got a four-seamer. He's got a change-up. And this guy could be one of the more dominating pitchers in baseball history, if, you know, barring injury, uh, if the Reds move him into the rotation. And imagine going into a series, and the first guy you face is Cueto. The second guy you face is Chapman. And then you face Bailey. And then maybe Latos or, or Leak, whichever one they, they don't keep. And, and you could bring in Stevenson. You, you know, there, there's a lot of options there. Uh, Singrani is still there. So the Reds can afford to get rid of one of their starters if they can get a good enough bat. Okay, what's the status of Singrani and Stevenson? You know, Stevenson went on the DL back in August, and he did not pitch uh, after that. They say it is a mild strain, uh, arm fatigue, same thing. He hadn't pitched a lot of innings until this year. Uh, Singrani, they've been very, very hush-hush on. And I don't know if there's a, a real injury there or not, but I'm telling you, something is amiss there because th this guy was in the starting rotation and has disappeared, you know, from the planet. So I don't know what has happened with regard to his arm. Is it, is it an injury? Uh, he, he's a, he, the kid is wound very tight. He's very emotional. I don't know if that's an issue, that he was just you know, not able to cope with the pressure of the big leagues and overwhelmed him. I, I don't know. But there's something going on there that the, the Reds fans, I did a night on the, the Reds telecast, that came up, and maybe he was not telling the truth, but Marty Brenneman said, don't know, I haven't heard anything. Well, that that's an interesting situation then that we probably should keep our eyes on. Mark, uh, one other thing as far as the Reds are concerned before we get into the Indians again. Is Simon in the plans for next year as far as the starting rotation, or where does he sit? I don't think so. I think it's one of the weaknesses this year of this team. They did not have strong middle relief. And Simon was a lockdown seventh-inning guy. You had Simon, you had Broxton uh, leading in and, and LeCure. Uh, and then you had long relief. You had Andrusik, who was just getting lit up this year. I, I don't know what's happened to him. He, it, it's it's amazing how he has fallen off the rails. But I, I think if they bring Chapman into the bullpen, at, from the bullpen, you're going to see Simon uh, go in there. You've got Jumbo Diaz who could pitch the, the eighth. Uh, and, you know, I've never been of the mind that you need a $20 million closer. I just don't think they're worth it, frankly. Most major league pitchers can pitch an inning and not give up a run. I mean, that, that's what they do. So that's, <laughs> they're going to give up a run every inning. They're not going to be a starter or a reliever. Correct. 
Well, as far as the Indians are concerned, you know, I, I know Twitter gets a lot of ball players in trouble, uh, especially when you're in Cleveland. Chris Perez is a good one to speak about that, but, you know, Jason Kipnis over the weekend, Mark, caught himself basically in Twitter purgatory because one fan came out on Twitter and referred to Cleveland's play over the weekend as pathetic and criticized the team's low home attendance. And Kipnis, instead of just letting it go where he should have, fired back on Twitter by calling the follower an idiot, also a few other choice words. Then he followed that message with, in part, don't ever question this team's heart or effort. You should want overachievers. That means they have a pulse. And then Kipnis came back again and said, I get it. You can be frustrated. We've got guys underachieving, not playing well, no one's hot, and no real mashers. And then in capital letters he said, and we're still in this thing. Now, I can appreciate the attitude that Kipnis has, but when you get involved with Twitter in a fight with somebody who's sitting in his living room, probably has an Internet radio show, and spews venom about some of these ballplayers, Mark... Uh, it's a no-win situation. Yeah, it is. And I think the more experienced uh, players don't get involved in that stuff. Uh, they, they know better. You can't win. And, you know, when you're – what's that What's that thing? You, you don't want to get in a fight with a pig because pigs like the mud or something. I, I'm saying it incorrectly. But uh, these guys, <laughs> they sit around hoping – that a guy like Jason Kipnis will take the bait, and it's not a very smart thing to do. Yeah, my my father told me years and years ago, never get into a battle of wits with someone who's unarmed. <laughs> and I think that's what Jason Kipnis did on Saturday night. He's right. I've got to give him credit. Uh, the Indians do have underachievers. They've got guys that aren't playing well. No one except for Santana and Brantley are hot right now. And they've got no real mashers, except for maybe Santana. And yes, they are still in this thing. However, it is going to be almost impossible for them to get into the playoffs. And like I said, Twitter does nothing but get you in trouble when you start answering idiots that are <laughs> that are on it. Now, another thing with the Indians also, Mark... Ryan Rayburn, who was one of the big players for the Indians a year ago. He's been virtually non-existent this year because he's got a knee injury. Well, he's probably out for the season with that hyperextended knee. So you've got Giambi, who had leg problems. You've got Nick Swisher, who had leg problems. You've had Ryan Rayburn, who's had leg problems. And, you know, nothing in comparison to what has happened to the Reds this year. But I, I think you know, from a standpoint of looking at this team, Michael Bourne has missed half the season. Masterson was never on top of his game. Zach McAllister, who's pitching tonight, was never really in the rotation. It has simply been one of those years for, for both clubs, Mark. And maybe, you know, like you said, a lot of teams go through this. Hopefully you get it out of your system this year and come back next year. Yeah, and I... I... I've been hard on the Reds this year, and I think a lot of the fans have. And what Cincinnati Reds have to fear is the season being over in August. 
And that's what happened this year. By and large, the season was over in August or even July. People get, people don't get mad. They just don't care. And now with the Bengals taking off, they're 2-0, and and they look great, by the way. Uh, baseball is on the back burner, you know, early in, in the season. And that, that that's dangerous. Now, what I a rumor I heard, and I, I've forgotten the guy's name now, but he's a Cuban slugger who has uh, gotten his citizenship. I think he's a citizen now of Puerto Rico, I believe. But he is going to be drafted this year. And this guy apparently has as much power as a Abreu from the White Sox. Uh, he, he's not as good a hitter, but he's got a tremendous amount of power, and he's young. He's a, he's a corner outfielder. Gee, who needs that? Uh, so, you know, maybe the Reds could make a move and, and get the excitement back uh, so people start buying tickets again. Uh, but you would think with the All-Star game in Cincinnati next year, you don't want to go in there with a fifth-place ball club. And it, it, that's that, that would be embarrassing. Uh, and, again, if Votto comes back, if they if they just add, they need now one bat, and they're going to have to get a young pitcher to replace either Leak or Latos. Maybe both. I don't know. But the Reds are two players away. You know, you can always increase your bench and all that. But if the Reds would have had a guy – with 25, 30 home runs playing left field, hitting 275. We're not talking about, you know, an all-star or a superstar. That's not hard to find. That That's all they're short right now. But who knows what's going to happen in terms of injuries. Does Bailey come back? Can can they keep Cueto? That, that's probably the biggest issue they face. Can they keep Johnny Cueto after next year? Well, I would think if they – they've got a choice to make, Mark. They've got to decide whether to keep Cueto or Latos. I know their their primary pick would probably be Cueto, but if they can't keep Cueto, they've got to keep Latos. Well, they, I think what the Reds are going to do, they're going to keep both of them. I think they're going to keep the pitching staff in intact until midseason next year, because if you have if you have a rotation of Chapman, Latos, Cueto, Bailey. And either Simon or Sangrani or pick you know pick the fifth starter, that that is a dominating pitching staff. And you know I think what they might do is say, look, we're gonna we're gonna roll the dice. In terms of value, I would bet that Cueto or Latos or any of the guys I mentioned, if you're gonna trade one or two, you're gonna get more for them next year at at, at the trade deadline than you are in the off season. So. The Reds may just say, we're going to roll the dice. If we're off to a good start, we'll keep everybody in place. Then we'll worry about it in 2016, and we're going to win the World Series. And that may be their plan. If the Reds get off to a slow start, and they're 10 games back or 8 games back at the All-Star break, you're going to see this team absolutely be revamped. You're going to see just about everybody I mentioned traded. Well, we'll see what happens later on as the the winter meetings come up, which will be in December. Let's get into our Ask Us segment, Mark. And, of course, people can send us an email to dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or send me a tweet at ohbbcohost. Actually, this is unusual. Tonight we've got two Indians questions and one Reds question. So the first question I get from Mike is, do you think the Indians need a stud starting pitcher for next season 
or a right-handed run-producing hitter? Quite honestly, Mark, I think to answer Mike's question, I think they need a run-producing right-handed hitter. I think the starting rotation right now is set up pretty good for next year when you've got Kluber is going to be your ace. You've got Trevor Bauer coming back. Carlos Carrasco has pitched some good baseball. Danny Salazar. You've got Zach McAllister. You've got Josh Tomlin, who will be two years away from the Tommy John surgery. See what he can do. Uh, I think you're going to see an Indians pitching staff that is pretty good shape next year. But they need a right-handed hitting run producer. Not so much somebody that can hit the ball out of the ballpark, but they've got to have somebody marked much like the Reds need. Somebody that can drive in runs from the right side of the plate. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, when you look at the averages and the run production this year across baseball, uh, it really is remarkable the impact that this anti-steroid campaign has had on production in baseball. And Unless you know something I don't know, Dave, I don't know what else to blame it on. You know, the Cardinals, who are leading the division, have scored the fewest runs in baseball. And they're usually a power-packed team, and they're doing it with pitching only. So you can win without a big bopper or two. But the the run production this year is down precipitously. And all of a sudden, a guy who hits 20 or 25 home runs, drives in 80 runs, is a hot commodity. And only a few years ago, you were looking for a guy who hit 40, 50 home runs, and that... That has just gone out of the equation in terms of Major League Baseball today. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And when you, Mark, look at Baltimore. You've got the tale of two cities in Baltimore by themselves. You've got Nelson Cruz, who's leading the Major League Baseball in home runs. And I don't remember exactly how many he's got, but I know it's not 40. It's somewhere around 37 or 38. And then you've got Chris Davis who has been suspended for 25 games because of amphetamine usage. So you, you've got the tale of two cities there. I mean, Davis is just a year away from hitting 50 home runs a year ago. Yeah, and, and they, ironically, you mentioned Baltimore, I mentioned St. Louis, at least last as of last week, Baltimore led major leagues in, in home runs. You've got Hardy, you've got, you've got uh, Adam Jones, or Jones in center field. Uh, you've got a lot of guys who can, who can hit the ball out of that ballpark. And they're both, the Cardinals and the Orioles, are leading their respective divisions. And they're doing it with different kinds of tools. Well, if Baltimore had St. Louis's pitching, they might go undefeated. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that, or, hey, if Baltimore had the Reds pitching. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you look at it from there. And Clayton Kershaw, he won his 19th game last night, Mark, and... Mark, he missed the first three weeks of the season. Has has anybody, I mean, yeah, I'm answering my own question. I was going to say, has anybody been as dominant as Kershaw has been in the last quarter century? The only one I can remember is Ora Horsheiser back in 88. Uh, and you go back a little further, uh, Bob Gibson back in 68. Where you've had Steve 50, Carlton. Steve Carlton back in 73. Uh, when he was with the Phillies and won, what, 62% of their games, something like that? Yeah, 27 and, what did he go, 27 and 9? Yeah, tw- with a team that was in last place by 30 games. Yes. Uh, I mean, I-, I was in Philadelphia then, and I saw him pitch maybe 15 times that year. 
you talk about somebody who's unhittable. That was Steve Carlton. Uh, and there's been three or four performances like that over the years. Sandy Koufax in 65, I remember seeing him pitch many, many times. He couldn't hit him. But you're now talking the elite of the elite. And Kershaw, uh, he, he doesn't – I saw him pitch last year. Actually, I saw him pitch twice last year uh, live. And he doesn't scare you like Chapman does. He's got a herky-jerky motion. He's got a funky delivery. Chapman is frightening. And Bob Gibson was frightening. I mean, these guys, Koufax, I mean, they, they, you couldn't see the ball, and, I mean, they threw so hard. Uh, Kershaw, I think his, his fastball tops out 93, 94. I'm sure he can hit higher than that, but that's his kind of cruising speed. But his, his breaking ball and his changeup are just devastating. And I can't recall in recent history a pitcher that has been as dominant as he has and a guy that is so clearly the Cy Young winner, even over of Cueto. But now they're talking about Kershaw being the most valuable player. Well, with Giancarlo Stanton out, and I want to get into that here in a little bit, yeah, he may be very well be the most valuable player of the National League. Let's move now to the Reds portion of this. Rose Fanatic sends in an email, Mark, and he says, this, this was the question that you pretty much predicted <laughs> at the top of our show. Can the Reds rebuild enough without Joey Votto to win next season? Well, th- that's a different question than the one I was going to suggest. No, I-, I don't think they can win without Joey Votto very simply. Uh, they don't have the sustained power. Uh, they're not going to have the on-base percentage. Uh, Joey Votto, you don't pay a guy $25 million not to have a major impact on your team. That's why you sign him, because you think you're going to win. If you don't think you're going to win, you don't put $25 million a year in anybody's pocket. And that's that, that's just a fundamental of, of finance ABC. So, uh, Mr. Rose, uh, if Votto isn't playing next year or Votto hits 260 again, the Reds aren't going to win. If the Reds do have a healthy Votto, and don't forget, last year in 2013, Votto played in 162 games. The year before, he played in 161 games. So he's not a guy who normally breaks down uh, if he's healthy. And you know, if Joey Votto just hits his career average, I think it's 306. Uh, if he hits 300 to 310, he drives in 90 to 100 runs. He hits 25, 30 home runs. Then he is doing his job. He's doing why he is there. Those aren't stupendous numbers, but that's all you need out of him for the Reds to win 10 or 12 more games. And that's what they Mark, have to do. Th- this, this is my question. Can the Reds get away with playing Mesoraco at first base and possibly moving Votto to left field with his leg injury? Do you see that as even in, in the thought process right now? I don't know. It, it really depends on what the doctor says. But I, my opinion would be you don't move Votto to left. You could. He's a good enough athlete to play it, but I would move Frazier to left. I think he is your guy. He, he, you move him to left, now you've got somebody out there hitting 25, 30 home runs. He'll drive in 80, 85 runs this year, maybe more next year. So that, that problem goes away. And frankly, it's easier to find a third baseman than I, I think, you know, an outfielder out there. So I, I would, I would look around for either a third baseman or an outfielder that you can get that kind of production from. But you need somebody else to step in 
and hit the 25 or 30 home runs, drive in 80 to 90 runs. If you do that, the Reds will win 10 to 12 more games next year, assuming everything else remains the same. And now you've got a competitive team. You've got a team that certainly would have a chance for the uh, for the wild card. And if you get two players, maybe you pick up another five or six games. And now you're you're pushing you know 15 to 20 games over 500. That's playoff, absolutely. So you have you know I'm not a big sabermetric guy, but the 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 war number. Uh, you know, value over replacement, uh, that, that to me is what a guy literally brings to the table in terms of his value to the team. And the Reds just, they're one to one and a half players short of being a very competitive team. So, uh, Mr. Rose, I don't think the Reds have to, to rebuild from the ground up, but they have to add to that roster this year or next year. Okay, our last question tonight on our Ask Us segment comes from for the Bell Tolls, who has sent in a few questions this summer, why did Francona keep bringing Brian Shaw into the game this weekend? That, that's a very good question, Mr. Bell, because I, I was concerned about that, too. And Francona seems to have favorites out in the bullpen. That's not unusual out of a manager. Right, Mark? I mean, a manager has his favorites out the bullpen. He's going to bring in a guy that he feels is reliable and he feels comfortable bringing into certain situations. That's where Francona is with Brian Shaw. Now, in my opinion, Francona has used Shaw way too much this year. Shaw has been in over 80 games this season, Mark, as a reliever. Certainly, He's only pitched one or two innings at a time. But for a reliever, when you've got 75 to 85 innings pitched, that's a lot of innings pitched for a reliever, no matter if he's throwing one inning, two innings, or to one batter. And I think Francona has used Shaw a tremendous amount this year. And towards this end of this season, I think he's getting what Mike Leake termed earlier a dead arm. And I think that was the problem with Shaw this weekend, blowing a, blowing a couple of opportunities against the Tigers that led to Indians' losses. That may all be very accurate. I'm not denying that. I didn't see the games. Don't forget the Detroit Tigers are a pretty damn good team. And they're going to get to a lot of relievers. And whether or not, you know, the relievers, you said, well, he brings Shaw in because he likes him. Well, the only reason he likes him is he's, he's productive. And that's why he likes him. What I'm always amazed at is when you have a situation like J.J. Hoover, who's now 1-11, I believe, how in the world can a manager put a, a player like that in a position to lose 11 games out of the bullpen? I, I saw Shaw's numbers maybe uh, three weeks ago, and they were, they were very strong, and especially on his whip. And, and so I, I presume he has been consistent most of the year. He wouldn't be in 80 games. But how do you bring in a reliever like like Hoover if that's all you got? Your, your, your bullpen or your organization, for that matter, uh, does not have enough talent to be in, on the 40-man roster. Mark, I'm sorry. I know this is bad, but J.J. Hoover is just like a sweeper. He sucks. <laughs> how long have you been holding that one back? <laughs> Uh, honestly, a, quite a long time, and probably shouldn't have even said it now. But that, that, that's beyond the that's beyond the scope. Hey, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment tonight. 
Uh, our thanks to those who sent in questions. Remember, you can send us in your questions next week simply by sending us an email to dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or sending us a tweet at OHBBCoHost. Mark, when Giancarlo Stanton got hit in the face with the pitch last week, it reminded me of one other ball player, and I think you're probably going to say the same name I was thinking of. Tony Canigliero. Exactly. And the thing about it is is that Tony Canigliero never came back from it. He did come back and play, but he was never the same type of ball player after that. He was an outstanding player, but what was he, 23, 24 years old when he got hit in the face and, and the years before that? He was an American League Rookie of the Year, and I, I'm not sure, but he may have been most valuable player one of those years, but he was just an unbelievable power hitter for the Red Sox, and then he got hit, and he was never the same player. Yeah, there's two issues to consider on that um, in terms of, and I, I, I have played with a guy who was hit in the head, and uh, actually, Stanton's injury, I'm not saying it wasn't serious, it was deadly serious, it could have killed him. But if you're going to get hit, it sounds terrible, you want to get hit there. You want to get hit in the face because it doesn't cause the potential brain damage that it does by getting hit in the skull. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but Tony Canigliero had brain damage, and he had dizziness for the rest of his career. He had double vision because he had a massive concussion when he was hit. And he got hit on the side of the, of the temple, and it, if you saw pictures of his bruised eye and black and blue and all that stuff. Uh, but Stanton said he thinks he'll be able to come back this year. And in his case, I hope he does. I hope he comes back for the last week, and maybe he plays with a face mask like the guy from uh, Atlanta did uh, when he got a hit in the head. But I, I really hope for his sake he faces live pitching again this year so he doesn't have the entire off season to think about that. And be able right. to get back into the you know into the uh, into the batter's box because he'll need to overcome that fear. It's not he'll be healed physically. He doesn't have a concussion, so from that perspective, he'll be okay. It's the psychological part. Yeah, you don't want to go through the entire off season with that in your mind and wondering you know for the four months before spring training, gee, how am I going to react? You know, what am I going to do? Even if he gets in and just plays one game, Mark. It'll be a lot better than if he has to go through the entire off season. Exactly, and and that's I, I he said today. At least I saw on one report that he said he's he's okay. You know he he's going to have maybe some surgery in the off season, but nothing major. It broke some small bones in his face, but nothing major. Loosened some teeth, as it would as a eighty-eight mile an hour fastball in the face will have a tendency to do, uh, but. Fortunately for him, uh, it got him in a spot where he didn't have any brain damage or a concussion. And one other thing I want to say for those that didn't see it, it was not a pitch that was purposeful. Uh, if you saw, I believe his name was Flurry, the pitcher for Milwaukee when he hit him, he felt terrible the minute that that fastball just kept tailing right into Giancarlo Stanton. Matter of fact, Stanton even swung at the pitch. Yeah, it was called a strike, and... You know, Stanton has a approach to the plate where he dives into the plate. That's the term. And he admits that. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he steps in toward the plate, and if a ball is coming in toward you, uh, you you're, you're going to get hit. 
you, you because your momentum you can't back up when you're trying to go forward. A lot of guys when when what you're supposed to do when a ball comes towards your face is to turn your back. But if you're diving into the pitch, you don't have an opportunity to do that. You you can't control your movement that that well. So he is uh, a guy who takes a chance by doing that and uh imagine if Chapman would have hit him at 103. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, it would have really done some damage. Mark, Jonathan Papelbon. <laughs> Boy, what a guy this guy is. Uh, did you see what he did this weekend? Yeah, I did. Un- unbelievable. He blew another save for the Philadelphia Phillies. I believe it was on Saturday night. He blew his 15th save in three seasons as the Phillies' closer. Well... As he walked off the mound, Philly fans, as they are known to do when they are upset at a player, they booed him as he was walking off the field. Jonathan Papelbon proceeded to grab his crotch. And immediately, Joe West, Cowboy Joe West, the umpire in the game, saw it. And Joe did not like what he did and threw him out of the game immediately, which caused Papelbon to go into, I'm not sure what zone Papelbon goes into, but he was upset at Joe West. And Mark, he bumped Joe West probably four or five times with his chest to the point where West finally had to grab Papelbon by the uniform and throw him off to the side just to get around him. Now, definitely something is going to be done to Papelbon, not just for, I, I, I'm not sure what you would call what he did to the fans as he walked off the field, but especially for bumping into Joe West. Yeah, but I think Joe West might face something for putting his hands on a player, too. Uh, we'll see what happens out of that. But, you know, I, I looked at that, and I lived in Philly for a number of years, and I, I know what the fan base is like there. You know, the fans... They wouldn't have minded. That's kind of their mindset. And what I thought about was all the times that Michael Jackson used to grab his crotch in front of people. <laughs> I'm not sure that that is something that is that offensive anymore. But, you know, he didn't give him the finger. He just basically grabbed his crotch and say, you know, do this. But <laughs> it was one of the funniest things I'd seen on the field for a while. And uh, but the more serious thing is what's going to – what's Sealy going to do be- – these two guys basically were doing some sumo wrestling. Yeah, this may be the last uh, punishment that Bud Selig hands out, but did you hear what Keith Olbermann had to say about this? I did not. He said it was the only it was the only pitch that Papelbon has thrown this year that was the high hard one. <laughs> and then then he said it's just nuts, people. Just nuts. <laughs> And that that was his explanation of what Papelbon did. Hey, Mark, I gotta get into something here that um, I'm not sure you knew about this. I didn't until I read this article today, and I think it's it's apropos to tonight's show. Uh, there's a quiet little suburb in Southwest Ohio. You might know where it is. I, I wasn't able to get the name of the the town, but evidently there's a cluster of fields off a side road. Uh, there's a baseball field out there named Miracle League Field, or more specifically, it's called the Joe Nuxhall Miracle League Field. 
of course, honoring Joe Nuxall, the former Reds pitcher, broadcaster, and legend in that area. The, the league website puts it, every kid with a challenge gets every chance to play baseball there. They don't have any road rules. They bat through the lineup each inning, and the last batter, they all run the bases at the end of each inning. Now, the thing about this is, Mark, is that this field is made of synthetic turf, and they're completely flat, so that way it'll accommodate the wheelchairs and the walkers of the kids or whomever come to those fields to play. There are tees to hit off of and even an assistive device designed to swing a baseball bat at the push of a button. Do you, do you know where this is located at, Mark? I think it's located down in Fairfield. Uh, it's near okay. Hamilton Fairfield area. Uh, and, and I remember this opening not that many years ago. It's been around for a while, but it, it, that's a, a great idea. It just uh, it, when you think about all the good that a little bit of money can do for kids like that who want to play baseball, uh, that, that is one of the great ideas that I, I've heard of because, you know, a lot of kids are blessed and gifted with talent and they play on great fields when they're 10 years old. And everybody else, I mean, they don't. They don't play. And it, it's amazing every year. I, I don't see, I don't remember the statistics now, but uh, starting at about five or six years old, every year you get older, a huge percentage of the kids who can play baseball drop off because they're just not good enough or they're, they're mental, or physically incapacitated or whatever happens to them. And what it means is by the time you get to college or semi-pro ball, like, you know, one person in a hundred can play at that level or, or one person in a thousand sometimes. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's a great organization. And, uh, I remember a couple of years ago they had a, a thing about it on local TV. So I'm glad it's doing well. Well, and because of this article that I read today, I did not know about this field. I contacted Tara Stroud who is the CEO of this foundation that has the field, and asked her to come on the show next week. And she politely declined, but asked us to interview instead Kim Nuxhall, who is the son of Joe Nuxhall. So Kim Nuxhall is going to be our guest on next week's show. Oh, that's, that's terrific. I'd like to hear more about that. And Joe, when he was living, he, he did more than that. Joe was a guy who spent a lot of time with charities and put his name to a lot of things, did a lot of good. And I, I've heard people say that he did a lot of stuff nobody ever heard of in terms of his time and his reputation and his ability to, to raise money. Uh, so I'm really happy he's going to be joining us next week. Yeah, that's going to be great. We're going to have him on the show next week, so be sure to tune in. Mark, you are constantly doing shout-outs to people. I've got a shout-out, two of them that I'm going to do tonight. The first one is to my youngest son, Patrick, who will have his 28th birthday tomorrow. So I want to wish him a happy birthday. And I also was challenged Saturday evening to issue a shout-out to Linda Jordan. So I'm issuing her a shout-out tonight, too. She she said you would be surprised that I'm actually giving her a shout-out, uh, considering you had done it before. Well, I think, you know, what she's doing, she's playing both ends against the middle here, Dave. She's trying to get us both to give her shout-outs every week. And I know she's a faithful fan of ours and listens to every broadcast. But I think we would be remiss then if 
every week at least one of us should give Linda a shout out for being such a, a loyal fan uh, and certainly a contributor to what we're trying to do, uh, as you were well aware, on Saturday night. Yes, very much so. Mark, before we get into wrapping up the show tonight, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what we're going to start next week uh, as far as your book, Last at Bat, is concerned. We're going to start reading at least a chapter towards the end of each show of the book in anticipation of your book being released and paperback here very, very soon and it being made into a movie uh, next year. Well, that's great. I appreciate that opportunity. And uh, we are going to be doing something rather exciting, I think. I'll talk about more detail next week regarding uh, 30 major league teams and 350 minor league teams that we hope will be getting behind our efforts. And uh, we'll elaborate more next week about that. Okay. We'll definitely do that next week. And, uh, Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week as far as their schedule is concerned? Only two weeks left to go. Uh you know, in, in two weeks, baseball is going to be in the playoffs, and then pretty soon we're going to be in the middle of winter. Don't remind me. It's already cold down here. I'm sure it's colder <laughs> up there. Uh, the Reds have the Cubs this week, and, and over the weekend they got St. Louis. Uh, so they're not going to be, other than being spoilers, the Reds are not going to be creating much excitement here. Uh, but, again, uh, I don't think Reds fans should be terribly or overly disappointed. I think they should be disappointed this year didn't turn out as we all hoped. But uh, I, we can we can go back and talk about this at the end of the year. My prediction was the Reds are going to finish fourth this year, and unfortunately I was correct. But I think all the signs were there, and that was even before Joey Votto's injury. So the Reds have to do some rebuilding, but it, it doesn't have to be from the ground up. And the Indians... They are in Houston tonight, where right now they are down in their ball game, uh, two to one to the Astros. And like I said, th- they've got to basically win out from the from here on. They've got a four game set with the Astros in Houston, and then this weekend they go to Minnesota, and then next week, next Monday, they're going to resume that game from towards the end of August, where the Indians have a four to two lead in the bottom of the tenth, but they're going to re- resume it. In Cleveland, it was suspended in Kansas City. They'll resume it in Cleveland, play out hopefully that last half inning, and then they'll play the regularly scheduled Monday night game, and then they'll play Tuesday and Wednesday. So that's a look at what's going on with the Reds and the Indians. Mark, maybe next week both teams will be eliminated. Maybe next week one or the other will be still back in the playoff chase. Well, it's probably going to be the Indians, so... I hope uh, that they sweep their their six games this week, and uh, we can talk about a contending team next week. I hope so. Mark, have a good week. We'll talk to you again next Monday night. Okay, David. Take care. And and don't forget, Ultimate Sports Talk Show coming up this Thursday night. That'll be at 7 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. And Mark and I will be back with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing the show. And also our thanks to those who sent in questions for our Ask Us segment, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, have a good week, everybody.